Welcome into the Spartan Red Zone show. I'm Zach Slowick, joined as always by Liam Jackson, Cam McLaren, Zach Serdenic, a different Zach voice behind the host mic tonight. Serdenic just walked in the door. Uh, he obviously has lots of things going on. I was going to make a joke about him getting a kidney transplant, uh, but he showed up. Zach, how are you up. doing today? Um, I'm doing okay. I got here. About half a second ago, I thought you guys were going to be in the middle of recording. I was going to jump in, but now I'm here for the beginning, so uh, I won't be able to stay the whole time, but guest appearance on this show today. Yeah, a lot of a lot of fun stuff happening here on SRZ. Liam, obviously coming off of that big 23-15 to victory, Michigan State traveling to Champaign, upsetting Illinois. What were kind of some of your original thoughts? I know we were writing that game together. Um, what were your, some of your like initial thoughts right after that one? Yeah, my initial thoughts were um, feeling of surprise, I would say, um, going into that game. I, I didn't expect Michigan State being down all those players, especially on the defensive end, um, to, to even really compete with Illinois. And from that, I think that the coaching staff and the players showed that they were um, – they kept everything in-house um, and they were focused, and I think – it was proof. Uh, the proof was in the pudding. Basically, they they went out there and they basically they, they dominated uh, the game from start to finish. There were some hiccups um, in terms of of time management and clock management, and that's been an issue with this coaching staff since they were hired. Really, yeah, so, that's yeah. So th- it's not new. That that's going to catch up to them at some point. I know that Mel has a great record in one score games, but that's going to catch up to him at some point. Um, but other than that, I think the players deserved to win in this game the coaches put them in some decent spots not the greatest coaching job but I think the players really um, locked in and, and they won that game and they deserved that win yeah Cam you were on color calling that one with Sir Denick. we kind of switched spots for the days I wrote takeaways you were on the air uh, what were you seeing from the beautiful view there that they had us set up with um, shout out to everybody at the University of Illinois for the setup that they gave us today and what were some of your initial thoughts to that one yeah, I mean, first thought, um, actually the first thought that I had walking into the press box was I'm actually very, very mad at Serdenic for taking us to a Red Robin before the game because we walked into the press box and immediately there's our build-your-own-Rubin station. Now, mind you, I'm a guy that thoroughly enjoys a Reuben, and I couldn't thoroughly enjoy a Reuben because... You could have still enjoyed the Reuben camp. I couldn't. I, I didn't I know. It's full. not my fault. I was full from the Red Robin, and now, mind you, getting into that Red Robin was a hoot and a half with the wind that was going on that day. So that's my initial thought, is that Michigan State played well, barring the adversity that they had. This is a team that, you know, has gone through some adversity in the Mel Tucker era. You talk about it, the first game of the Mel Tucker era, seven turnovers against Rutgers, following up with a two two and four season. They come back the following year, some adversity against some tough opponents, or some Decent opponents. Western Kentucky was one of those games where they Bailey allowed Zappy. Bailey nope. Zappy Zappy Hour. You know, they allowed the Hilltoppers to stay in that game for a little bit and then they just pulled away late. And then you talk about the Penn State game last year where it's in the snow, it's in the elements. And that's a team that responded to adversity, things that they couldn't control. And so this game was literally about the wind. It affected everything. And when you mean everything, it's it affected everything. I mean the student section. They were cold. They left halfway through the third quarter. It was pretty reminiscent to what the student section for Michigan State was doing during the month of October. Sorry, the deep end was very shallow for a majority of the month. Excuse me. But a lot of play calls for Illinois I don't think would have been made 
had it been for the win because there was a lot of fourth downs that they attempted deep in Spartan territory at the two, at the three, at the five-yard line that they ran plays on fourth down instead of kicking it because the f- the wind was just so bad. It was just so spiraling. I think it's especially more on those fourth downs from like the 20, the 25. Like the three and the two, maybe they'll go for it, maybe they won't. But when you're at the 25, most of the time that's a kick. Also, if you want an example of the wind, go on our Twitter page and check out our stand-up from the field after that. I straight up said it in there. I was like, as you can probably tell by my hair right now, it's pretty windy here, and uh, it definitely was. Yeah, and pretty pretty windy It was an understatement for that game. Game started off at 26-mile-an-hour winds. I think that was the slowest they were throughout the entire game. Um, Zach, obviously, you were on the call as always. What were just some of your initial takeaways from that one? Well, you'll hear this in a little bit. I don't know that I'll be here at this point, but you'll read off my powerhouse unit of the week. I mean... The defensive line's ability, starting four defensive tackles and being able to really bottle up Chase Brown for the most part. And we talked about adversity, but even within this game, the first play of the game was an interception. I mean, when Payne Thorne threw the pick on the first play, and then the next two plays were a 13-yard run and an 11-yard run from Chase Brown where he had massive holes, I was like, here we go again. This is not going to be pretty. And it was what I, the game started out the way that I thought it was going to go with a top 15 Illinois team in the AP poll, 16th in the CFP. But a top 15 team at home against a struggling Michigan State team without eight defensive players, I thought they were really going to struggle. But they manned up. They got a stop on that possession. They gave up the touchdown on the slant route that they probably shouldn't have even given up. Chester Kimber had a chance to make a tackle at the 50-yard line. He spun himself around, and Amir Speed just kind of got thrown out of the way like a rag doll again by Chase Brown. Thrown's an understatement. And so they scored there. It's 7-0, and you've got the win, and Illinois, the number one defense in the country, they averaged giving up less than nine points a game coming into that. Michigan State already down 7-0 five minutes in, but they found a way. They kept battling through, and... They just continue to fight back, and now they put themselves in a spot where six wins is not out of the equation. No, three games left. Uh, currently just needing two more to get to that magical six to get bowl eligibility. We'll we'll kind of go a little bit out of pocket here. We'll jump to the pick for this week. Cam talked about Michigan State in the first game in the Mel Tucker era and the Rutgers. Michigan State takes on Rutgers this week. For the first time in a very long time, Michigan State is favored in a football game. Um, All the way since Akron. Yeah, not something that was would probably be expected by many coming into this year. If you said Michigan State wouldn't be a favorite between week three and week is it nine coming up this week? Or? That was week ten that just finished. So week eleven. Week eleven, week 11 by week. My bad. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, by week and week zero. Yeah, a lot a lot of weeks going on. So we do have a special guest. We do. Um, Zach's younger brother, Eli, is here, and he is going to give his pick for the Rutgers at MSU game this weekend. You picking, or is he picking spread? Whatever he would like to do. You can pick money line or spread. I don't know what either of those are. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So MSU's minus 11. Uh, minus nine and a half. Minus nine and a half. Okay. So if you pick Michigan State, they have to win by 10 for it to be right. If you pick Rutgers, they can lose by nine. And you're right if you pick Rutgers. So it's up to you. Right. This is the difference between 1-0 and 0-1 for the season on the pick you for you. 
I'm going to have to go with MSU on this one. We'll add them to the list. <laughs> all right. You guys already have my pick em, Yeah, uh, choices we'll, for this. We'll go over all of Sir Denick's stuff as, as if he was here the whole time. Uh, just had to stop by. Didn't actually have kidney issues. No. Was just doing homework. Uh, shout out Bob. Had to film um, the package for 403. Yeah. Um, we're getting, we're, we're studious here at Impact 89 FM. We are student athletes, boys. Yeah. Well, we're student journalists. We're, I don't think any of us are too much of athletes these days. <laughs> I mean, we, we had a football <laughs> game last week that probably showed that. So yeah. two weeks ago. But uh, well, we don't talk about that. Yeah. It was good to be back. Uh, enjoy the rest of the show, guys. Well, Thank Zach you, will Zach can be heard again this Saturday at 11.30. We'll be live for the Michigan State taking on Rutgers. We'll talk more on that. Noon game. Bit. It is a noon game, the first one of the year. Um, who would have thought it would take 11 weeks to get to a noon game? Uh, just so much. Well, we'll start. We'll, we'll touch more on this Illinois game. Then obviously go into always our player of the week and our powerhouse unit or frame of the week. Preview Rutgers and then do the official pick them. We heard it, Eli taking the Spartans against Rutgers. And the the other four of us, three of us here and Sir Denick, uh, will get our, our picks in. So I let all of you guys talk about your initial thoughts. My initial thought right off the bat was how is this defense going to look? Missing eight guys from suspension and three starters from injuries. No Chris Bogle, no Jeff Petrowski, obviously Darius Snow out for the year, and then the eight players suspended after the Michigan game. No clue how that defense was going to look. A lot of big bodies missing. Plus, Jacob Slade didn't play the second. So that's snap in the second half. Yeah, so Jacob Slade left first play of the second half, didn't even go on the field, came out warm-ups, tried to go. Had to leave. Um, it's always scary seeing someone that talented get banged up. He's been banged up a couple times this year. Um, and then the other one was how is the offensive line going to look? The offensive line got beat up pretty bad over the last couple weeks as well, um, really having to do some rotation. And I think the offensive line looked really good. Uh, Jalen Berger ran for 81 yards on 15 carries. Uh, the team broke 100 yards. Peyton Thorne threw for over 100 yards. So Michigan State was the first team to rush and pass for over 100 in each category. Jaden Reed was kind of the one that eyes always seem to go to just because of how talented he is. Five catches, 68 yards, a touchdown, but he probably should have had another one. Definitely should have had another one. You don't usually see. He had uh, a drop in the back of the end zone. Pretty good ball from, from Thorne. And like factoring all the wind and everything in, and that's he admitted it. Um, he talked about it after the game, but that's that's something that um, Michigan State fans have have. That's usually a sure thing when you throw the ball to Jaden Reed and it hits him on the hands like that. Yeah, and it was really just it was two in a row, and that first one was him kind of getting. It was a free play, if I remember correctly. Illinois jumped offside, free play. It's a pretty much just a stop, and, or it's not a stop and go. It's just a comeback route. It's a ten yard comeback, and as soon as Reed's able to turn the shoulder, he kind of gets grabbed in the right arm. But it's perfect ball placement by Thorne, one of his better throws of the day. And and Reed tries to get it one handed with the left hand. As soon as he hits the ground, the ball gets jarred loose. So that's just you know that's a drop because you're not able to really secure the ball. And then the second one was on that third down, if I remember correctly, or it was on the ensuing the ensuing penalty ridden third down. 
and you see Reed just streaking across the back of the end zone, goes right to him, hits him in the hands, and then incomplete. And that's just it's. I hadn't seen Jaden Reed drop two consecutive balls in his Michigan State career. Those were two drops, even though one technically didn't count in the stat sheet. Yeah, and I don't think even without the penalty, that first one goes as a drop because that is a jump ball. Um, got one hand on it. Definitely a lot of contact there. But the second one was, was a drop. Was a clear drop. He talked about it. I think the first one might not have been considered like classified as a drop, but in terms of Jaden Reed's ability, that you that's expect a catch, yeah, him. That's to not a that's not a ball he in. drops very often, if ever. Because um, yeah. he is he's that's that's what he's that's what he does uh, when he throws him the ball like that when it hits him in the hands or the chest. Especially in the end zone, he's coming down with those ninety percent of the time. Yeah, and J- and Jaden Reed, it's really interesting. Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed can do a lot of the same things, and they're both skilled in a lot of the same ways. But they don't really seem to do it in the same way. Jaden Reed can definitely get up and jump, but it almost seems on those corner routes in the the end zone, uh, either side, right or left corner of the end zone, he kind of almost like boxes out and uses really good positioning. And catches stuff while it's coming down, where Keon Coleman jumps over people. Um, and not saying both of those people can't do the opposite. Jaden Reed can definitely jump. Keon Coleman definitely waits for balls to come down so he can catch them on the run. But two very impressive wide receivers. Coleman had a slower game. Didn't look terrible. Um, didn't see many receptions though. Two catches, twenty six yards. Uh, the longest being the fourteen yarder that he had in the first half. Overall, I think it was a very good game from the Michigan State offensive side of the ball. Something I definitely don't think any of us expected going into that game with the wind. Um, like I said, Thorne, 184 passing yards, two touchdowns. Sardanic touchdown, the interception on the first play. That was a scripted play without a question. That ball was going to Daniel Barker. Which is why I'm so confused why you throw at their best defensive back, a team that leads the country in interceptions with wind that was reaching gusts of like 40 50 miles an hour i get that it's a scripted play but you you show up at the stadium how hard is it to say okay we're not doing this on the first play and i mean like like i talked about earlier this there's still some coaching decisions that are questionable at best so and that in my opinion that first play either i i don't put that totally on thorn i mean you shouldn't have made that throw but also you have a whole week to game plan your first play, and that's what you go with. Is It's a little odd to me, especially and, with the weather. And I feel like everyone in the stadium knew that Daniel Barker was going to get targeted early. Um, he was targeted, I believe, twice in that game. Did not come down with the ball um, in his return to Champaign. Obviously, the transfer um, from the University of Illinois this year played a big role in the Spartans, but did not see a catch in that one. No, the thing was, is it was scripted. It was one-on-one single coverage on the outside. But, like, it's a 10-yard out route, and Thorne just underthrows it. Like throwing into 30-mile-an-hour into That was the problem that I had with the play is that ball. Like, I'll touch on it in a little bit when we talk about our frame slash unit of the week, but that ball hung up there, like, halfway through its flight. And it just it allowed for their defensive back to basically just get positioning in front of Barker. It was a clear pitch and catch. It was essentially what you want to do if you if you know your receiver is getting beat to the inside, you want him to come back to the ball. Their defensive back just read it perfectly. Was able to get in front of his get in front of Barker's hands and come down with the ball right on the sideline. So I mean, not to mention he 
telephone, telegraph, telegraph. Like, he just immediately told the entire Illinois defense he was making that throw. Didn't even have any other progression. Yeah. He allowed Barker to get up the field. The single play, the play action, he looked straight down. He had the, the, the fake handoff, pulled it back, and immediately saw Barker turning towards the outside, turning towards the sideline, and threw it, and it just died halfway through. Defensive back picks it off, and you're immediately shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, and that's Peyton Thorne, and it's it's crazy to to say it like going into the year, especially after the year he had last year. Jay Johnson, it really does seem has a lot of scripted plays for Thorne. Obviously, in the red zone, he looks to read. He looks to Thorne, or sorry, he looks to uh, Coleman. And a lot of those plays on those corner routes, they're just fades. That's the only place he's going to throw the ball. He doesn't go through his progressions. And then that route, he looked right at Daniel Barker, goes there. But then there's plays where he has all the time in the world in the pocket, and he'll look at one person. Or there's times where he doesn't have any time, and he's going through progressions. And when he goes through progressions, is Peyton Thorne making decisions. When he, The ball is, I think he's told, like, all right, throw the ball to whoever. But he's too talented of a quarterback to just have scripted plays. I mean, in my you, opinion. you have hot routes. Yeah, I mean, you have the route that you want you want to throw to. It's just that's your first read. The hot route's your first read. It's no, it's the one that you know is going to have the mismatch in coverage. It's just I honestly think that Thorne plays better whenever he's got a the time to go through his progressions and B actually goes through the progressions. I mean, how many times well, have we seen Peyton Thorne have a big play when rolling outside of the pocket and directing his receivers to go? That was a case last year. It hasn't been so much the case this year, but like. It's it's something that Peyton Thorne has been able to do. You wanted to see the maturation of Thorne in the pocket. Well, when you don't have an offensive line or haven't had an offensive line to give you time throughout the majority of the season, you can't go through your progressions. And and that's kind of what I was touching on was Thorne does go through his progressions when it seems he's allowed to. It seems yeah. some plays he doesn't he's told you're throwing the ball here. Um Liam, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but it just seems like some some plays he comes out of the huddle and he knows exactly where he's going to go with the ball. And that could be from his pre-snap read. That could be from Jay Johnson or Mel Tucker or somebody in there saying, all right, you're throwing the ball here. Yeah, I'm not 100%. I don't want to – I'm not 100% sure who it's on, but I think just from some of the play calls that Jay Johnson has um, dialed up this year, I think I, he's been less than impressive in my opinion. But also in terms of the scripted plays, most teams do have like their first 15, 20 plays scripted. I just think that you have to understand there's a difference between scripting plays and a, most, a lot of good coaches are great at it they, when you have a whole, time, a whole week to game plan before the other team can make adjustments. But you have to be aware of the situation and the environment you're playing in, and that's why I think um, Jay Johnson's kind of struggled with this year. But in terms of, of Peyton Thorne, um, I think that when when he like he played well on Saturday and like you said I think it just starts with the offensive line and I think that has been um an issue both in terms of him being able to to read read defenses and also um that play action pass hasn't really been there all year but it was there on Saturday because Berger and the offensive line had a good game so I think it really I I don't think Payne Thorne is like there's a very few quarterbacks in college football that you could just plug into any offense and they could just turn it around there's you can count them on one hand, probably. So, you, Peyton Thorne needs a good environment and a good, um, good offensive line, a good running game to really pick apart defenses. And he was able to do that at times with that win. So, 
that's basically my spiel on that. I don't really um I think it stems from the top it starts from the top down and I think Thorne is still shown the ability to be um QB1 and in a quarterback that can win you games, but the coaching staff has got to be better flat out. Yeah, and I and I agree with everything you say. The the part that I really want to highlight is that offensive line did look very good on Saturday. They did, yeah. Um and they definitely get a lot of they deserve a lot of credit especially um, through the injuries they've had to go through and all of the slander they've had to go through because of their struggles throughout the year. They turned it up against one of the top two defenses in the country going into that week. Obviously, Illinois allowing the least amount of points per game and then Georgia, the powerhouse that they are. Um, but those two, I don't think it was really up for argument. Those were the top two defenses. A couple more things we'll touch on this, then we'll go to our player of the weeks, but Bryce Berenger, he averaged 49 and a half, 49.6 yards per kick. He had a long of 68, two over 60. He had 248 punting yards, and he had, I believe it was five pins inside the 20. So yeah. very good week for Bryce Berenger. Yeah, just another day in the office for Bryce. He's been the best punter in the country all year, and his average was 50 going into the game, and then he averages 50 when half the game he's punting into like he's punting into crazy wins. Um, he even said the first punt of the game that was straight into the wind, I believe it was like a 42-yard punt, but he said it was the best punt he's hit all year. So just imagine what that punt, how far that punt goes if he's on the other side of the field kicking with the wind. But, um, yeah, it's a homecoming for him. He played at Illinois, he transferred um, – to MSU from Illinois um, after starting at MSU, and then he came back. So, um, yeah, it was happy. Uh, he seemed very happy after the game. It was cool for him. Um, he said he saw his roommates um, before the game. In Xavier Henderson even had a funny quote after the game where um, the night before they were talking, uh, Xavier in Bryce, and uh, Bryce was like, yeah, I really like this campus. Uh, it's really nice. And Xavier's like, oh, did you visit here? You played here before? And he goes, I, I went here. So Xavier Henderson didn't even know that, that Bryce Berenger had, had transferred from Illinois, which was pretty funny. Um, so, yeah, best best punter in the country this year, in my opinion, and just, like you said, just a game-changer and prove that again on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, being able to have somebody like Berenger in the backfield on punting is something special, especially, especially whenever special teams, depending on which coach you follow, I, I'm under the impression that special teams wins championships. I mean, I follow the Bill Parcells model of, you know, the old giant stadium, the old wind tunnel that it used to be. You, have, you need to be able to catch kicks. You need to be able to actually flip the field. Field positions everything in football. That's big where football. You, you wear teams down, especially Big Ten West football. Jeez, you're talking to me. That's <laughs> smash mouth to the to a T. Nine to three, baby. Nine that's to three. A, that's that's a regular score in the Big Ten West. Yeah, you you will never have a score. You will always have actually let me rephrase this. You'll probably never have another scoregami ever if you just let the Big Ten West play. I mean, they you're going to get your 9-2s. Yeah. You're going to oh, get no, your 7-8s. I, I don't know. You could get some scoregamis. You could have some, like, 4-2 to two games I'm waiting. with Iowa and Nebraska. Yeah, two, well, three safeties. Do we all, After that, then but I'm just, like, I get what you're saying because they won't score enough points to reach yeah. those other scoregamis. Exactly. Just gonna, they I could mean, get the random ones, like, two to one, like the one-point safety. Hey, the Big Ten West is the main reason why you always say, you know, if you have – if you have Iowa's offense and you put it on top and you divide it by Nebraska's defense, you know, you're dividing zero by zero and the whole world implodes and it's all your fault. I mean, that's just how it is. But going back to Berenger, I mean, take a look. The one punt that he had that was p- 
pinned inside the one and a half yard line. I mean, can't going with the win. That was, I think, the sixty-eight yarder. Yeah. But I mean, going into the win, you still kick a forty-eight yarder. Amazing. And then there was also the last special teams topic I will touch on was I think after Michigan State's field goal or after the touchdown, they almost I think they almost got the ball back because on the ensuing kickoff, mm-hmm. the ball died right at around like the twenty eighth, thirty yard line. Happened twice. And I forgot who it was, but they were within like half of a second of cradling the ball and it would have been a turnover essentially because it's a live ball as soon as it hits the field to play on a kickoff. And it was so close and at that point it could have been the turning point for Michigan State going in again and just after immediately scoring getting the ball back I mean it could have been just sounding the alarms for Illinois but didn't happen still Michigan State pulled off the win I mean there were a lot of things the wind was a factor yeah to, to say the least player no, of the game in my opinion the the last the last one I'm going to go around everyone and it is going to be which unit for Michigan State were you most impressed by um, I'll start. I know I didn't really give you guys much of a warning on this one. I'm going to go with the linebacker group, um, and feel free to take the same. You can take anybody you want if you want to take an individual player. Uh, the linebacker group had a phenomenal game. Uh, Aaron Brule steps up and starts for the suspended Jacoby Windman. Um, Cal Holiday had a very good game, and Van Tuberen returns after not playing. Cal Holiday, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Exactly. Uh, Cal Holiday had nine tackles, six uh, six solo, three and a half tackles for a loss, and a half of a sack. Aaron Brule had a sack and a fumble recovery. And then Ben Van Sumeren led the linebacking group with 10 tackles. So a total of 24 total tackles out of those starting three linebackers. And that is going to be my most the, – the group that impressed me the most in this one. I'll go with the a- – coach i'll go scotty hazelton because he's heard it from fans all year they got to try something else they got to switch something up this defense is horrendous i mean and that was just honestly one of the more impressive coaching jobs i can remember since covering the team the last two years in a single game because like zerdenic brought up um they had to play they had one defensive end play avery dunn who's probably the sixth or seventh best Defensive end. Who ended up leaving the second half injured, too. Yeah, exactly. So So they were playing. Their defensive line was banged up. We've talked about it over and over, all these suspensions. But he was able to unlock Brule the way they were dialing him up. He got a lot of pressure. Um, Yes, props to Scotty Hazleton. That defense played out of their minds. The scheme was great, and also the players were playing hard. So, yeah, big props to Scotty Hazleton. Also, shout-out to uh, Brendan Jordan on that for getting defensive tackles learning the end in like three days yeah he's yeah. the whole defensive coaching staff yeah i mean i'm gonna harp on the same chord the defensive line was immaculate maverick hansen simeon barrow uh avery dunn deshaun mallory i mean Derek Harmon. these guys played lights out i mean especially because you're i mean avery dunn was in there almost every play before leaving injured simeon barrow i think played a majority of the game and as a defensive as a former defensive lineman now mind you this was a long long time ago I also played both sides of the ball which just goes to show like I used to be able to just get things done but mind you these are big guys and to have the stamina to do that and I I understand the post-game comments from Brett Bielema about 
you know, players getting hurt and then coming back in, immediately being recovered, you know, the magic beans. But to be honest, some of those players were actually hurt. I mean, Kendall Brooks went down with a stinger because like, he got popped by Chase Brown. And I saw him get helped to the ground by Maverick Hansen because he was just out of it, clutching his shoulder. But defensive linemen just playing majority of this of the game and still getting, I think, a combined three, three and a half of Michigan State's nine total tackles for loss. I mean, what more can you ask for, especially against a smash mouth football team like Illinois, where Chase Brown is running over opponents left, right, and center? I mean, they they played that to a T. It's one thing to have the the wherewithal to actually have the scheme that Scotty Hazleton put out there of you're going to throw 40 tackles out there and we're going to see what happens. Well, it's one thing to have that on paper. It's another thing to have it execute, and that's something that Mel Tucker and this team haven't done lately is execute. They executed on Saturday. Couldn't agree more with any of your guys' solid takes, I would like to say, over that. Let's get into the SRZ Player of the Week. I'll start it off. I'm going with the guy who I pick every other week. Bo Nix went 20 for 24. That's right. Four incompletions, 274 yards, two passing touchdowns, one, or two rushing touchdowns, and a receiving touchdown. Put that, Send that man to New York. Bo Nix is that guy, and I will continue to pick him as he continues to impress me. Liam? Whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go... While the player I picked played well this week, pretty good, um, I I think I'm going to pick him just to kind of highlight the season he's been having because under the radar having one of the best seasons in the country, if not the best at the quarterback position, and that's North Carolina quarterback Drake May. Um, Last week he had uh, 293 and two touchdowns, but for the season – Nearly three, just a tad under three thousand yards, fifth in the country. Thirty-one touchdowns for more than anybody in the country at quarterback. Only three interceptions, and his QBR is third in the country at eighty eighty-nine point five. And North Carolina is now eight and one. Their only loss um, coming to Notre Dame, who they might, who Notre Dame started off so they're now ranked in the top twenty, um, and they're six and three, and have a chance to get to nine wins. They do play USC at the end of the year, so it could be eight. That's an eight or nine win. Notre Dame team that's their only loss and this is a North Carolina team that could um that will most likely be playing Clemson in the ACC championship so if they win out and be Clemson I mean I I don't I wouldn't pick them to make the playoffs but they're gonna be right there at five six, six or seven oh absolutely New yeah. Year's six and Drake May is the best quarterback that uh he's a freshman the best quarterback no one's talking about I don't know why he's not I mean if this was a Clemson quarterback and they're eight and one with one loss to Notre Dame I mean this is the number yeah. four team, number five team in the country, probably getting in the playoffs. So that just goes brand recognition. But I think North Carolina deserves a shout-out on this show and around the country because his stats are uh, ridiculous. If I remember correctly, I picked Drake May last week on this, on this well, podcast. Well, then I sound like an idiot then. But, but uh, either way, Drake Drake May. I actually do guy. remember you picking that now, but still. I will, Drake, I will say this, though. That is, that is Still a, not enough. Like, he deserves Bo Nix level shout-outs on this show. I don't know if anyone deserves Bo Nix level shout-outs. Get him. But. You know what? Get, let's see, what what bowl would they go to? Let's get him to the, no, it's not the Fiesta Bowl. They wouldn't go to the Fiesta Bowl. They go to the Sugar Bowl, probably. Bo Nix? No. Oh. Uh, UNC. They could play each other. 
Oh, that would be sick. That would be a fun. That game, would be actually. amazing. ACC Pac-12 crossover. Cam, who do you have for your SRZ Player of the Week? I'm going a little bit weird here. I'm going full FBS, not just top 25 teams. Give me Austin Reed, quarterback for Western Kentucky. You know, the former home of Bailey Zappi. They found another quarterback. Reed going 23 of 38 for 409 yards, six touchdowns in the Hilltoppers, 59 to 7 win over Charlotte. Charlotte bad, Western Kentucky good. Conference USA will always get love from me, unless it's Louisiana Tech. Okay, no love for Louisiana Tech. No, no love for them. Campus Uh, is nice. Serdenic is going to go with Tanner Mordecai, who had a casual nine, was it nine passing touchdowns? Nine, Nine passing, passing one rushing. So a casual ten touchdowns for SMU. Um, nothing big there. And then for they, just really quickly in that game, that was the highest scoring game in college football history in regulation. And um, SMU had one punt. Other than that, they scored a touchdown every other possession they had. Yeah, there was there That's was. Insane. Sounds like never mind. <laughs> accurately, no defense played in that game. Yeah, what a crazy no game. defense. All right, uh, Tanner Morikai, casual ten touchdowns, not a big deal. Um, so now into our powerhouse unit of the week. Serdanic going to go with the group that we've talked about quite a bit here in the first 30 minutes. Already already, already pretty deep in. Uh, the Michigan State starting four defensive tackles who all started on that defensive line for them. Um, very impressive game. I am going with UCLA's rushing attack. They had three players... Two players over 120 yards rushing, one who hit 98, and another who hit 50 for totaling for 402 yards on the ground in that one in their victory. So I think that is a pretty good unit of the week as they are now ranked nine after their win over Arizona State. Yeah, I'm going to go with um, my unit of the week is just going to be Death Valley, the real Death Valley. Baton Rouge, and I don't know why I'm turning into a, a Brian Kelly fan, but here we are. Um, they beat Alabama um, in overtime, going for two and after uh, scoring a touchdown in the first overtime. Um, so Death Valley, they claim to be one of the toughest places to play. Um, they they played Tennessee at home earlier in the year. didn't look that great, but the last two weeks, two top ten wins at home, and now they're staring at potentially a playoff berth two with two losses. Um Odds probably aren't in their favor, but they have three wins to get. Uh, they have Arkansas, UAB, Texas A&M. If they win all those three, they'll be going to the SEC championship to play Georgia. And if they beat Georgia, they could end up being the first. I think I don't know if there's ever been. I don't think there's, there's ever been a two-loss team. A two-loss. So they're going to put themselves in a position for to possibly be the first two-loss team in the playoff, which is crazy because if they would would have just made an extra point against Florida State, then they would probably would control their own destiny, but. We'll see. But Death Valley, regardless they make the playoff or not, what a bounce back, um, an in-season bounce back for, for LSU. And um, those fans really have shown out and made that place. It's really lived up to its name the last two weeks. Yeah. I mean, they're going to need some help depending on what happens with the Pac-12 and uh, the Big 12. But we'll touch ACC, on that a little bit. Yeah, the ACC is a little bit weird. Clemson's a bit of a weird team. LSU to the Big 10? Oh, no. No. <laughs> no. Jeez. That's a... <laughs> It's very hot probably take. put them in the East, too. Yeah, just yeah. load it. <laughs> Absolutely loaded. My, you know, my Joey Ellis Memorial Powerhouse frame slash unit of the week is actually a very big frame. It's a sweeping frame. 
And by me, what I mean by sweeping is the sweeping winds that blow through Illinois, and Illinois specifically. Because when you take a look at that big noon game between Ohio State and Northwestern, very weird one there at Ryan Field in the Windy, windy City, beautiful campus there in Evanston. Ryan Field, never been, never probably will go. Um, it's, Noah it's Ruggles. Actually, it's pretty nice at Ryan Field. Noah Ruggles had trouble kicking a 30 yard field goal into the wind. It just died in the middle of, in like suspended animation in air. And then I think went back about three yards as it was in the end zone. So yeah, not a good day for kickers in the state of Illinois, um, which is probably why Illinois went for it on fourth down so many times because kicking was non-existent in that game. Ask Ben Patton. He made one field goal, missed one late in Michigan State's victory, and also missed an extra point right off the upright. So yeah, not a good day for kickers in Illinois, but you know, the Illinois win, in my opinion, was the MVP for Michigan State's win because I don't think Illinois goes with some of their play calls on fourth down, especially a one-handed pitch to Chase Brown that resulted into a, in a fumble that was recovered. Uh, the crazy thing is I think they do probably go for that. because I think they do, but you don't do it with one hand in the middle of a game with 40 miles an hour wins. Two hands toss it. Just two hand to it. I mean, I don't know. It was a fake QB sneak like pitch. I think it was supposed to be a QB sneak with a pitch option because Chase Brown didn't really look ready for it. Um, but I don't know. You have a running back who's averaging four yards a carry. He's arguably a top three running back in the country, and you're going to run on the outside. That's what I'm more concerned about. From, I just don't see pitching the ball with one hand whenever it's 40 miles an hour going diagonally that direction. I mean, how that ball didn't land up somewhere in the middle between him and Cal Holiday, who was probably about 10 yards away from him, that is mind-boggling to me because the wind was really wild on the field, especially post-game. But, yeah, the Illinois wind frame of the week so now that last week is in the past let's look forward to michigan state's matchup this week at home first time having a home game in east lansing in the month of november uh first game since their matchup against wisconsin now is it four weeks ago because the buys or the by michigan and illinois so returning to the woodshed Michigan State's favored for the first time since they played Akron, and that is words that I don't think I would have been saying earlier in the year. This is a game they should win, but will they win, Liam? Yeah, I think they will. I don't think Rutgers is good, and I, I Rutgers is also playing for bowl eligibility. They're four and five as well. Um, so this isn't a team that's going to come up or and that's going to show up and and not play. Um. This is a, this is a must win for them as well. Um, but like you said, there's two wins on the schedule. That Michigan State uh, probably will be favored in. Rutgers just statistically not a great team. They're scoring. They're 114th and out of 131 teams in the country in scoring offense. And Gavin Wimsett is their um, most likely going to be their starting quarterback. Um, he's a freshman, but so he he's a I think he was a four star, but. He's probably, he probably is the future of that of that team, um, but just not a great start to his career so far. Two touchdowns to six interceptions. Um, he's only completing forty four percent of his passes. Um, it just it MSU needs they should win this game. Nothing Rutgers does is impressive. I think Michigan State's the better team, top to bottom, even with um, even with these suspensions and, and injuries, especially on defense. So yeah, that's about all I got on that. But I would I I would be shocked 
if Rutgers won this game. I would be hard-pressed if Michigan State does not win this game. Now, mind you, Michigan State can beat Rutgers. It's just can Michigan State not lose to Michigan State. I think this is a game that maybe some people overlook because of the opponent. And historically speaking, Rutgers is just not a good team. They got demoralized in the second half against Michigan after the Wolverines allowed them to stay in the first half, which has been a statement of a lot of the top teams in the Big Ten East this year is allowing teams to stay in in the first half and then, you know, letting the other team really allow the wagon to leave without the wheels. So I think that's a metaphor that I really screwed up. So we're going to leave it at that. But this game just scares me because it just reeks of full-on, like, clawing your eyes out with nails. Because two years ago, Michigan State committed seven turnovers and a loss to Rutgers. They lost by three. And then they beat Rutgers at whatever stadium. I forgot what it's called. It's... Yeah, last year. I just, to me, this is a game that Michigan State should win on paper. They should win in any actuality because it's Rutgers. But you never know. This is a a scrappy Rutgers team that is going to fight for every inch. And you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. And especially against this Michigan State team that, mind you, that Illinois win looks very good. It doesn't cover up any of the scars and the gashes and the wounds from the previous six weeks. You give Rutgers an inch, they're going to take a mile. And against the Michigan State team that has really been untested when they give a team or they allow a team to take a mile and hasn't found themselves back in those games, this is going to be a very interesting test for them. Yeah, I don't think this is uh, one of those trap games or the lookover games because if this was a... Seven win Michigan State team going into this, I would say maybe because they're trying to get to ten and they're they're looking forward to. But this is a team that is fighting for bowl eligibility, so I believe they're going to play every game. I mean, if Illinois wasn't a sight to see for the rest of the year, I'd be very surprised. I think this team wins the next two, um, and then I think Penn State is a lot closer than people think. I don't know. If Michigan State is going to be able to go into Happy Valley and come away with that, especially Thanksgiving weekend, it's a whiteout. It's it, that's going to be a very tough game for Michigan State. So if they plan on going to a bowl, it's going to be very important for them to win the next two. Yeah, I mean, my thing, my whole thing was is that if Michigan State plays like they did against Illinois, this is possibly a seven-win team. Yeah, this I mean, is possibly. I'm just, I'm. What I'm trying to say here is is that Michigan State just can't beat themselves. They didn't beat themselves against Illinois. They almost beat themselves against Wisconsin, and they didn't beat themselves early in the year. You don't beat yourself, you win football games. And I think that's that was that's been the whole thing this year is lack of execution because Michigan State's been beating themselves. So I think if they play like they did against Illinois, they wipe the floor with Rutgers. They keep the old brass platoon against Indiana. And they go into Happy Valley, which in the end of November is not going to be Happy Valley. It is somber Valley because there is literally nothing to do in State College. It is surrounded in four hours in any direction by nothing. And it's going to be November in the Northeast. I don't know if any of you have been to the Northeast in the, you know, the happy, jolly holiday months. It's not fun. Snow is not fun. 
and it's not fun when you're in Pennsylvania and there's nothing to do. They did play in the snow last year. Amazing we're, game. We're we're gonna just do a little bit of a speed. I'm gonna ask a, a question. I'm gonna give you a stat line. You are gonna tell me if Michigan State gets to it or not. And if you would like, you can give reasoning. You don't have to though. So we'll start with you, Liam. Does Michigan State break 100 rushing yards for the second week in a row in this one? I think so. I think Berger um, showed a lot of potential that the coaches saw in the offseason. That's why they brought him in. And I also, Broussard only had three carries or something like that, less than five uh, Three carries. carries for 13 yards, 4.3 average. Yeah, and I think I think that this is a game that Broussard, he also had a 20-yard reception. Um I don't know if that one got called back or not, but I know it was a 20-yard reception. Not regardless, I he showed he showed flashes. One catch, 21 yards. Yeah, he showed flashes of that of that um, he's very shifty, um, change of pace back. So I think that uh, between Berger, Broussard gets a couple carries, and Eli Cowan's Mister Reliable. He does about he just um, you kind of know what you're getting out of Eli. So I do think that they get 200 yards. Cam, yes. At Michigan State wins the trenches for the second week in a row. Berger goes at least 75. Elijah Collins has a better breakout game. Probably goes for 50. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think they'll be somewhere around 150 um, total. Uh, I think Thorne will, might even run the ball a little bit in this one. Peyton Thorne over 200 passing yards. Did not get there against Illinois in the wind. Got to 184. Liam, does Peyton Thorne break 200 in this one? Um... I'm going to say no, but I think it'll be right around 200. Um, I think this is a game that um, I think they're going to lean on. I think this is going to be Michigan State's best game on the ground since Western or Akron, their best Big Ten game on the ground, and I think they'll lean on that, and Thorne will make throws that he has to make, but I don't think that they'll run um, the offense particularly through him, and I don't. I don't have a reason why. I definitely could see Keon and, and Reed – go off, but I just kind of have a feeling this is going to be like, like a, a very Big Ten football game. Cam? No, chunk plays are not going to be in existence for Michigan State. I think this is just spread the wealth to everybody, get most of the receivers out there, go to the air when you need to. It's supposed to be cold, as Liam said. Smash mouth football at its finest. It's going to be Big Ten football to me. I also think that Rutgers' safeties and defensive backs can make the plays when they need to. Now, mind you, you go up against Illinois, you throw the one pick, and your pretty conservative play calling keeps you in the game, um, especially going on the ground and not really throwing you know, a lot of contested balls. You don't really need to open up the playbook. If something, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, Don't try and fix it. So under 200 yards, possibly 175, spread the wall, see if Trey Mosley gets about 50. Jay Reed and Coleman go for around 52. You don't really need to spread the ball, especially if you get Berger going. I, I'm going to have to disagree with you guys. I think he does get over. I think you get the running backs going early for Michigan State, and then the play action's open, and Thorne can take shots down the field. Two more. Over under Bryce Berenger averaging 48 yards a punt in this one. I'm going to go under just because I think MSU's offense is going to move the ball enough, and they won't get um, – I don't think that he'll have to hit any more than a, a – one or two long punts, so I think if he's punting, it'll be um, kind of just little chip shots to to pin Rutgers deep, or he won't punt very much to, uh, on Saturday. Berenger punts three times. Just, that's it, and it's probably just a few chip shots. 
I mean, you're you're only going to need to punt it a few, uh, just a few times. I mean, there's really not much that he can do. Pin him inside the twenty. Rutgers not necessarily can, can't really move the ball that much. They haven't moved the ball well in their past few games. So, yeah, I think if he has more than four punts, he breaks that. If not, I don't think if he if he has three or less, I don't think he gets there. Um, but I think if he has four or more, he will get over that. Um, last one over under. Two for Michigan State defensive force turnovers. So force fumbles, interceptions in this one. Um, you talked about it earlier. Um, Wimsat has thrown six picks already um, in his very fresh college start. Michigan State over under two, and it can be a push. Mm, I'm going to go under. I think they'll get one. Should have um, set the line. I'll set the line at one and a half. You're still saying you're going to get one because. Okay, yeah, I'll still. I think they're going to get one. I'm not. They forced a lot of a lot more fumbles than than um, than they've had interceptions this this year. So I guess my best bet would be they force one fumble. So that's where I'm going to go. They're guaranteed to force at least one fumble. It's just I I like how you said that they get more fumbles than interceptions because take a look at a few of the uh, plays against. Uh, Illinois look no further than their one touchdown of one specific corner getting turned around very 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 easily yeah I'll so yeah but I'm still picking the over I think Michigan State um not necessarily going to rely on those turnovers they'll get points off those turnovers it's going to be specifically in the first half I see them getting two going down getting at least 10 uh kind of spread the or put the spread out a little bit higher and then you don't have to really worry about Rutgers trying to make a comeback yeah, and the one thing I, I'm going to go over as well, solely off the fact that Michigan State defensive backs love to fly down downhill and smoke people. Kendall Brooks hit stick. Uh, Xavier Henderson had one on Chase Brown, um, who hadn't fumbled in quite some time, and he got leveled by Xavier Henderson. Xavier Henderson had a great quote after the game. He first said, you like that, and then laughed, and then say that he didn't actually know the ball was out. He was just dizzy, and then he saw uh, Brule on it, and then he was like, "Yay!" And those are the words of Michigan State senior captain Xavier Henderson. Now heading into the pick'em, we'll go over the standings real quick. Liam still out in front by a lot. Heater, I, yeah, a heater. Liam is going crazy. Somebody would have to fade every one of his picks, and he would have to go zero and five, and one of us would have to go five and zero. For us just to be tied, Liam sitting at 26, 18, and 1 in first place. 9 and 1, my last 10. Yeah, 9 and 1 in the last 10, which needs to be said. He is absolutely feeling the college football pick him. Not as hot on the green and white report NFL pick him. Sardenic and myself, Sardenic and Slowick, both of the Zacks tied in second, 21, 23, and 1. And Cam falls behind from being tied with me to now 19-25-1 after the 1-4 and four week from you. And yeah. you have anything on that? This no? sucks. Yeah. <laughs> this right. sucks. Syracuse, why? Why'd you do this to me? We'll, we'll start it off with one of the most hated rivalries on the West Coast, Washington at Oregon, both ranked in this one. Oregon breaking through the top 10 Almost to the top five, number six, and Washington getting back in the top 25. Number 24, Oregon favored by 13 and a half. 
Sir Danik submitted all of his picks before the show started. He is taking the Ducks. Liam, where are you going to go with this one? Um, I'm going to take Oregon, and I think it'll be close. I think they'll cover um, close in terms of they'll, they'll cover late. I don't think that Washington is as talented as Oregon. Um, and they wouldn't be ranked if Oregon State didn't blow that lead they had last week um, in Seattle. So I think Washington's all right. I think Oregon's a legit team. Uh, could possibly be even be in the playoffs at the end of the year, so I'm going to go with Oregon. I'm also going to go with the Ducks. Bo Nix is, Bo Nix is going to Bo Nix. Um, so I'm going to take the Ducks, and I believe Cam is as well. Yeah, he's yeah. got that dog in him. Yeah, we're all going Ducks there to cover 13 and a half. Next one, Alabama at Ole Miss, another ranked matchup. Alabama favored by 11 and a half coming off of their loss to the Tigers in Death Valley. Second week on the road against another rival. Sardanic is going with Alabama. He said it last week. He won the pick last year strictly off of picking Alabama every week. <laughs> I guess so. He's just going to continue to ride with them. Cam, you can start us off on this one. Yeah, give me Bama. This is a revenge game. I mean, there's really not much to say when you try to put the words revenge game and Bama in the same sentence. It's almost like it just doesn't happen. But they're not too happy that they lost to LSU, especially if you take a look at that first play from scrimmage in overtime where there may or may not have been a block in the back. They're not too pressed about it, especially when they blow the brakes out of Ole Miss at Ole Miss. It's going to be a very tough day for the Rebels. I'm I'm really sorry to say this, but yeah, give me Bama. It's 10 versus 11. Still, it's Bama. Yeah. I'm I'm going to pull up some if you know what you want, Liam, you can help yourself. Yeah, I'll go. I also um I also going to have to go with Bama. I don't think I think Ole Miss has benefited from a pretty as easy as a schedule can be in the SEC. Obviously, they're still in the SEC. They're playing some legit teams week in and week out. But um, yeah, like you said, coming off of a loss, I couldn't imagine what those Bama practices are like this week uh, with Nick Saban. This is a Bama team that could easily be six and three too, which is crazy to think about because um, if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt on uh, that Texas game, it looked like Texas had that one. Um, in oh, the they bag. did. So, so yeah. In, I don't know why I'm trying to. I don't know why I'm talking down on Bama and about to pick them, but I do think they're be- they're better in Ole Miss. I think Jackson Dart's fine, uh, but this is definitely going to be uh, one of the better defenses he's ever faced, and I, they're going to be ready to go. Yeah, I'm going Alabama as well. Uh, Ole Miss has played one ranked team so far this year in LSU. They lost by 25. They barely beat a very sorry Texas A&M team last week. So uh, we are all going with. The same pick again here. I was very excited when picking these games. I did not think we were all going to pick all the same, um, and it's been kind of boring so far. TCU at Texas. Texas seven-point favorite. I think TCU's legit. I'm going to take TCU. Sir Denick took TCU. Cam is also going with the Horn Frogs. Fear the Frog. Now, mind you, November Quinn Ewers scares me. Almost as scary as December Quinn Ewers. Almost as scary as Liam preparing to possibly fade all of us. I am taking Texas. I think that 
I want T. I'm I'm gonna be rooting for TCU because I, this is a I TCU want, push. I want them in the playoffs. I think that'd be fun. Um, because they should have been in in the playoffs in 2016, and they got screwed out of that. I'm gonna go with Texas, but root for TCU. The Fighting Andy Daltons. Yeah, my brain says Texas. My heart says TCU. And but Danny and Tomlinson also went to TCU. Did you know that? LT. I did not actually. He's that guy. Second to last game, UCF at Tulane. This one is a barn burner. Two very exciting, kind of a little bit different. We pick a lot of big-name football teams, and it's sometimes fun to go with some a little bit out there. Both ranked, too. Want to throw that out there. This is another ranked matchup. Almost, I think, four of our five matchups are all ranked games. Um, Tulane ranked 16th, UCF 22 as the Green Wave come in as one-and-a-half-point favorites over the Knights from Central Florida. Sir Denick took Tulane, Cam? Give me Tulane. I love the American Conference. There's just something about it that just, you know, it gives me the warm fuzzies. But UCF is just not the same program they were a few years ago. Everything kind of went downhill after that cheap shot on Joe Burrow. Um, I think, what was that, the Fiesta Bowl? It wasn't the Fiesta Bowl. I think it might have been, yeah. It might have been that or the Citrus Bowl. It was one of I think the, it was a Fiesta. It was Fiesta because the, the tortilla chips. But mind you, Tulane, good school, very good academic school. In a state that I don't really like, because I'm pretty sure they're in Louisiana, but still, give me Tulane. Great mascot. UCF is just not where they should be. Uh, they've, they've played pretty much the same schedule. Tulane's only kind of big win outside of that was over Kansas State early in the year. I'm going to go UCF. I don't know really why. I'm just going to take it for funsies, I guess. Funsies. Yeah, the winner of this game could be the group of five representative in the uh, in the New Year's Six Bowl. Um, there's a lot of stake Ooh. for this game, potentially. They'll go to the Cotton Bowl. But, yeah, they could. Um, I trust. I trust UCF more, and I don't know why. I just Tulane. Um, I think they. I remember them. On our way to Maryland, actually, I think they were playing Houston and beat them in overtime, and then Houston just gave up seventy-seven points to SMU. So that's why I'm picking UCF. I don't, I don't trust, I don't trust Tulane, and I also think UCF just beat um, they just beat Cincinnati. Yes, yeah. There's another reason. Correct. Yeah, but Cincinnati without Sauce is lost. That's true. And sauce Tulane, Tulane will play Cincinnati the final week of the year. That's not good. Um, last one. Rutgers at Michigan State. Michigan State, the nine and a half point favorite. That is a lot of points. Serdenic picked Michigan State to cover, as did his younger brother Eli. I'll go here. I'm going to take Michigan State. I've taken them all year, um, mostly because the points have been so large in the opposite way. Um, but it's nice to pick Michigan State when they're actually favored. I really just want to fade Michigan State kind of like I did against Illinois so that way, you know, you reverse engineer a victory because as a fan, I would really like Michigan State to win this game and I'm also a very superstitious person. Therefore, I should fade 
Michigan State. But I'm not going to. Nine and a half points. That's a lot. But this is, you know, it's hodgepodge. It's Rutgers. It's the Rutgers, as I usually call them. Give me Michigan State. Hopefully they cover. And for the sake of my standing in this pick because this could have a chance to really spiral out of control. You're the only one to not break 20 so far. You know what? People in glass houses should not throw stones. I'm coming for you, buddy. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go Rutgers. Oh, just the Rutgers. The the reason being, I think, um, the reason is because I don't know. I there's I have so many reasons why I should pick MSU, and um, I've just there's been so many picks this year where I've gone the opposite of what I've thought, and it's ended up working. So that is my reasoning here. MSU should cover. Rutgers will cover at the end of the game. Gavin Wimsett will be happy um, with – he'll make a great play and he'll be happy. Congrats, Gavin. Thanks for the backdoor cover on Saturday. Oh, he's picking the the old Penn State and, uh, backdoor I, cover. I, I, I would like to say as well in the pick Liam's phone is 2-0 and oh when being flipped. I'll bring it out. Not this week. I'll bring it out next week. So if I pick games that are up for question and Liam is unsure of, their phone might be – the phone. The phone might be flipped for a third time, and we can see how he goes there. But that is all. Thank you for listening to the Spartan Red Zone show. We will be back Saturday. You can listen to Mr. Zach Serdenic and myself, Mr. Zach Slowick, on the call at impact89fm.org backslash listen live. Uh, Liam will have the post-game recap and cam will have his takeaways as well you can then hear us talk about it on the green and white report on sunday liam's got a podcast that comes out what day you're coming out friday yes friday if you want to plug that cam does a million thing other things including working at this radio station you got hockey thursday and friday right you're working that one yes i am it'll be a absolute barn burner against ohio state Bunch of new podcasts coming back with the basketball season started. Michigan State's basketball team traveled to San Diego today, so lots of good stuff coming out. Thank you again. You're listening to Michigan State Football Talk Show on WDVN East Lansing.